0: To the True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. My guests today are Meese and Libby Baker, a mother-daughter duo who are among Pennsylvania's most respected figures in the agricultural community. As we continue to descend deeper into the depths of the COVID-19 pandemic, our attention has grown increasingly more centered on what is happening in the urban parts of our country, which of course is understandable given the disproportionately high number of COVID-19 cases in places like New York City, Philadelphia, Chicago, and New Orleans. However, in focusing so heavily on certain geographic areas, we have overlooked the suffering that has been afflicted on the rural parts of our country. Consider a few examples. Here in Pennsylvania, roughly 55% of the money the Pennsylvanians spend on food is spent in restaurants. That market essentially dried up overnight and as a result, the food supply chain has been flipped on its head. This is particularly true for the dairy industry. School meal programs, restaurants, and exports make up a significant amount of the dairy industry's business. And each of those demand centers have been essentially cut off. To make matters worse, some retail stores have limited the amount of milk that customers can purchase even though there is a current excess in supply. The result has been a massive disruption in the distribution chain, creating a severe imbalance between supply and demand. In other words, the milk goes bad over time, the cows are still producing it, and there is a limited amount of storage space for it. It is a recipe for worst case scenario in an already struggling dairy industry. There are other issues that go beyond agricultural production as well. As you'll hear from EC and Libby, access to broadband in rural areas is severely limited compared to the rest of the country. According to technology policy expert and Penn State professor Sasha Meinrath, the true number of Pennsylvanians without high-speed broadband right now is roughly 11 million people, or a supermajority of the state's population and a disproportionate number of those are in rural communities. That means that school children can't do their homework, families can't stream television shows, relatives are less inclined to visit, small business owners can't communicate with their customers or with their banks, and perhaps most significantly, rural physicians and patients are unable to take advantage of incredible developments in telemedicine, which can be a matter of life and death. As we begin to consider what type of society we want to build out of this pandemic, we would be wise to follow the advice of people like Missy and Libby Baker. The agricultural community is the driving force of our economy here in Pennsylvania and the foundation of our daily lives. The time has come to give them a fair shake. Without further ado, I bring you our next true neighbors, Missy and Libby Baker. All right. I'm here with Misi and Libby Baker. Thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thanks for having us, Tom.
2: we are really looking forward to it.
0: Me too because um, I can officially say that the Baker family is on my list of favorite families that I've met during this campaign. It feels like, Misi, doesn't it feel like yesterday that we were at the uh, dinner in New York together? What a different world that was.
1: Absolutely and it doesn't seem like much before that that you were sitting in my office book in hand. So, Tom, I'd like to give a shout out and a congratulations to you on your book. My husband's reading it right now, and he said, um, this really restores his faith in the Constitution. And he was a a history major who went on to the Pennsylvania State Police Force. So, he appreciates all that at a very high level. So, congratulations on your book.
0: Thank you, Misi. I appreciate that. That that makes my day. Um, So, I'm Excited to talk to you because I think the perspective that you each offer is, is one that not many people get a chance to hear. You know, we don't um, often hear about the issues that are going on in, in the ag community on the mainstream news. And so, I think this can be a real educational experience for people who are listening. Um, but we'll start just by, um, I'll ask you to explain a little bit more about yourself. And so, Misi, I know that you're one of the preeminent ag leaders in, in Pennsylvania. Can you tell us about your background?
1: Oh, thank you, Tom. The first thing I'd like to tell you is I'm sitting here in the farm kitchen that I've been sitting in for 60 years. I grew up on this farm. I've been here forever. So I certainly appreciate all that Pennsylvania agriculture and rural Pennsylvania has to offer. I started my career as a high school ag teacher, and I was one of the first females to be a high school ag teacher in Pennsylvania. I wanted to be a veterinarian, but... Boy, those grades just didn't hold up. So I had this great opportunity to teach, which was a nice combination. My mother was a high school teacher and my dad was here on the farm. So I was able to really take a little bit of them into that profession. And I, I will on a side note say they both were basketball coaches and so was I for a bit of time. I went from wow, there on to... coaches. What a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the daughter of, daughter of uh, two great athletes, unfortunately, that gene didn't pass along to me. But I, I moved from high school and primarily my time was spent at Greenwood High School in Perry County, Pennsylvania, which I just think is a model for any school in the nation. They do wonderful things there in a very small district that graduates maybe 50 kids a year. And I moved from there on to Penn State where I supervise student teachers. And then came into the Rendell administration in the Department of Ag and the executive office. And then, in the middle of the second term, you know, if you're appointed, you ultimately will be unappointed from positions. And I had the opportunity to join this firm. It's Versant Strategies, and we like to think we are conversant in all things green and um, agriculture. So I've been there now for 13 years. My partners have stepped aside, so I am the sole owner, and I have two employees, and we work primarily in the agriculture and rural sectors.
0: Well, you got a dream team there. I know anytime I have a question, I can turn to your team and uh, and find the exact answer I'm looking for. And um, and now Libby has, in many ways, followed in your footsteps and took on leadership roles in this space as well. Libby, can you tell us a little bit about your background?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um- so, I grew up on the same farm that my mother did, um, which was something that I didn't appreciate as much when I was little, um, but I really grew to appreciate and understand you know, the value of home um, as I've gotten older, and I'm thankful to share a home with her for so many years. Uh, I was actually involved with the Greenwood High School Act Department. I went to high school the same place that my mom spent so many years teaching, um, and that was a very special experience for me. In high school, I was part of a lot a lot of different clubs and organizations, um, but my favorite was um, the National FFA organization. Um, Greenwood High School has a very promising um, ag program. So in about 150 schools within Pennsylvania, they teach agricultural education in classrooms. And I was fortunate to be in one of those 150 classrooms. I had two teachers, and I took classes from everything from plant science to environmental science to animal science to uh, food and nutrition. Um, I had a lot of fun um, and really grew as a person um, because of those experiences that I had within the organization. And after I graduated in 2016, I took a year off of school um, and I served as the state FFA president. Um, and what I did for a year was basically travel the state talk about agriculture and leadership development. I had the opportunity to visit about 50 different schools and do leadership workshops with kids um, and then conduct two statewide leadership conferences um, and two very large um, conventions as well. So it was a great opportunity um, and really taught me the value of leadership and the importance of agriculture, whether you're in the industry or not.
0: What is the FFA Libby for folks who don't know?
2: Yeah, so for those of you who aren't familiar, I'm the National FFA organization is the largest inc- intracurricular youth-led organization in the world um, and that means that it's comprised primarily and exclusively of people who are within agricultural education programs. So the second that you step into a classroom that is teaching agriculture here in Pennsylvania, you have the opportunity to really take part in the National FFA organization. Um, you might be going around um, the capital some days and see people in blue corduroy jackets. Um, those are the members of the National FFA organization from here in Pennsylvania. And um, it's an organization that really values, as I said before, agriculture and leadership development. Uh, it really brings people together from rural Pennsylvania um, all the way up to the largest chapter here in Pennsylvania is actually in Philadelphia with over mm-hmm. 500 members. So, Um, It's an organization that definitely brings people together and teaches them the importance of agriculture.
0: I want to talk to you in just a second about what you see emerging as the issues for this next generation of of ag leaders, but Misi, I think one of the things, I know I didn't quite uh, have as much of appreciation as I do now of the monumental role that uh, the agricultural industry plays in the Pennsylvania economy. Can you give us a um, just an overview of how vital the ag industry is here in pennsylvania
1: yes tom we are the top economic driver in pennsylvania and depending on what statistic you look at really about one in every seven people in this commonwealth are employed somewhere along that food distribution system
0: wow that's quite a uh, a role and even before the pandemic we see the the ag industry in, in many ways was facing some financial struggles. Um, I know that's particularly true for dairy farmers. Uh, Can you elaborate a little bit on the issues that they were facing even before the pandemic hit?
1: Sure. Um, Certainly, the dairy industry has seen some difficult times over the last several years. And one of the challenges is to be flexible and fluid so that you can meet the demands of today's consumers. I think most of us don't drink as much milk as we once did. However, consumption trends have changed a bit in the last few months, and things were starting to look better for dairy right when the pandemic hit. So the challenge now is to try to change from making milk products in small containers that would be served at a school lunch line um, or very large containers that might be delivered to a restaurant to some type of packaging that is more appropriate for an individual family. But I will say this, um, the dairy industry has always risen to the challenges. Um, Unfortunately, we are seeing some dairies go out of business. And I'm sure some of you have heard in the news about the dumping of dairy products. And that has been very um, infrequent, but it has happened. And just to explain a little bit, Here in Pennsylvania, there is a state law that says if you are selling milk to a processor, they have to pay you for that milk, even if they have instructed you to dump it because they are not able to process the milk at that time. They can't refuse milk for any other reason other than if there is a health or safety issue. And then they have to give you 28 days notice before they would terminate you. Um, So... The folks that probably need as much help are the dairy farmers right now would be those processors and the ones that are small processors like we might see in our area. So we're thinking not only about the dairy farmers, but all those good processors that take that product and put it on your table.
0: One of the fascinating parts about the ag industry is the, as your family shows, the familial ties and the generational lineage in uh, maintaining farms and staying within this industry for generations. Libby, what do you see now? Uh, in this new reality, as being some of the challenges that the next generation of ag leaders face?
2: Um, I'm going to highlight one main one that I see fairly regularly, um, and that is the opportunities that are available to come into the agricultural industry, especially production agriculture. Um, Mom just said that a lot of people try to keep farms within generations, you know, but if there is a person who all they want to do is become a farmer but they don't come from that lineage of farming backgrounds. They don't have access to lands. Jump-starting that farm is extremely um, expensive, and um, it requires a lot of upfront money and then um, money to to continue as they are in the learning process of what it takes to become a farmer. So, you know, supporting those people who just want to do their part within the agricultural industry and produce you know, the food that we take for granted every single day. Um, and the, I think that's something that's really important, um, as well as making sure that there's opportunities um, for those generations to transition from one generation to the next. Um, we The average age of the Pennsylvania farmer is about 57 or 58, um, which is kind of surprising to think about, but there aren't that many young people coming into the agricultural industry. For the, for, so for those people who want to take a part in production agriculture, having the support so that they can make that transition as easy as possible is definitely an area that I think he's highlighted.
0: Absolutely, and um, you know I think that's true for our generation as a whole is you know looking at a radically different world going forward than it was just a couple months ago. Um, Macy, what are you hearing from folks within the industry? as to, uh, you know, where the greatest needs are for stimulus money. I mean, I know now they're looking at passing um, multiple packages even after the initial one. Um, But have you you heard from, uh, you know, clients or or folks in the industry where that money is most needed right now?
1: I think the one thing that I've heard most often is the ppp money ran out i think sometime you know like the the day after um most folks had applied So just making sure that some of these packages that are out there that are very worthwhile, and that's the one that I've heard from most of my clients, maybe goes beyond the first couple months. And it's really very confusing. We've all talked about getting overload of emails and trying to sort through the information. You know, I think from the farm community, if you were here driving down the road as we're looking out, you might not see as much change as you would in other industries. Agriculture has been deemed essential and agriculture support activities have been deemed essential. So, I don't want to say that it's business as usual because the secretary and Department of Health, um, Secretary Levine, have issued some orders um, telling us how to accept deliveries on the farm, how to um, operate our farm markets. So there certainly has been an effort um, to really get into the business of science when making decisions down on the farm making sure that we're not doing anything that would enhance spread of COVID, but also um, taking that from the production ag point of view into uh, the processors as well and making sure that all those folks that work in processing plants or anywhere along that food distribution sector are also remaining safe. And I'll give you an example. We have a neighbor here that has a vegetable production uh, farm about 80 acres and they've had a big farmer's market. And quite frankly, it is also where you socialize in this area in the summer. And Libby worked there at the farmer's market, waiting on customers, arranging the produce. And they're not sure exactly what they're going to do. Um, they might go to more of a community-assisted um, ag-type set up where, you know, you, we would buy a membership up front for a set fee at the beginning of the season and they would deliver produce to our door. Um, There's all kinds of different considerations when you're thinking about farmer's market or having somebody, perhaps they call their order in, you take it over the phone. You know, they pay with a debit credit card and then you drop off their order. Not sure how that's all going to play out for them or for many of the farmers markets across the Commonwealth, but that's just one, one example of how people are trying to change and be responsible um, and react to the situation at hand.
0: Libby, one of the things I'd imagine um, for you, you know, being a senior, getting ready to graduate, having everything online is access to broadband. This is something I've only read about uh, at a very surface level, but have you encountered any issues with accessing broadband over these past couple of weeks?
2: Yes. Um, so I'm very fortunate that um, on the farm we do have good Wi Fi. Um, so I'm able to video into my classes um, and participate. But I've had a lot of my classmates who uh, do not have that opportunity. Um, and depending on where you live, it really differs. Um, I think I've seen a lot of my professors change requirements for classes. You know, what would have been a video presentation is just an audio presentation or allowing for different mediums of presentations, um, whether that is a PowerPoint or, um, a voice lecture, um, as opposed to just recording yourself, um, submitting a video of you presenting a project, for example, because not everyone has access to that. Mm. Um, and I think if something that's been very challenging for me personally, um, is group work. Um, Most of my classes this semester are leadership classes and I have a fair amount of um, group assignments assigned with them Um, and those group assignments did not go away when we transitioned to an online format. So, you know, just last week I was trying to (laughs) coordinate a a meeting time with people from three different time zones and Mm. um, a professor who was in Mississippi with her family and um, I think it just adds another level, um, I don't want to say of stress, but of a little bit of confusion um, for students. I think, you know, professors are especially at Penn State, where I go, um, they're being very accommodating, you know, if you hop on and you say, Hey, I don't have really good internet right now, Um, I'm just gonna listen to this lecture, as opposed to visually being there on zoom, they're fine with that. Um, If you send them a message and say, hey, my internet went out because we got a really bad windstorm the other day. That's okay. Um, I think they just want open communication. And then a lot of my professors are making resources more available, whether that is um, notes or presentations from class, um, additional office hours over Zoom. But I think they're really doing their best to manage. And I know it's a learning curve for them as well as us.
0: And, and um, graduation is already, already postponed, been postponed, this postponed
2: point, at this right? point, right? Yes. So um, Penn State is having a virtual graduation on May 9th. I'm not exactly sure what that looks like, but I knew that I had to call a phone number and pronounce my name for them. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how what that looks like. But yeah, I was really looking forward to graduation. You know, it was on Mother's Day, so that was going to be especially important. Um, my graduation from my college was supposed to be May 10th um that sunday um and my dad is on faculty at penn state um he was going to get all up in his um his doctoral robes and um i thought he was going to hand me my uh, my diploma <laughs> um mm-hmm. but i think i had this like picturesque moment of what graduation was going to be like but you know it really makes you take a step back and think about what's important um i am fortunate that i was able to finish a four year degree in 3 years um and actually make up that time that I lost as a state officer. So I I will be graduating with some people that I crossed the stage with at Greenwood High School four years ago, which is really important. And you know, they, did, they didn't say that they were canceling graduation, they said they're postponing it, it. So we're just waiting for someone to say, hey, you can come back for summer commencement or for fall commencement next year. And I know that I will be able to get that experience. It just might not be the day or the time that I originally hoped for.
0: We'll like give, you a, I mean, give you a lot of credit. It's, um, it's, um, it's a great perspective, great perspective to, have, to have, you know, going through, going senior, through year, senior year, especially, especially going into the in the spring and graduation, graduation. I'm sure it's uh, been a, uh, been major been a major adjustment, adjustment but, but um, you know, I'm, I'm glad, glad to hear at, at least hopefully that, hopefully that we'll have a we'll have chance down the, down the road to, road to partake, in partake in that, in that ceremony. Nisi, this broadband question is one I think is really important. Beyond just educational issues, where else um, does this come into play in the ag community?
1: Well, certainly trying to run a small business out in rural Pennsylvania is very difficult if you have spotty or patchy broadband. And let's say you're um, selling seed and you're trying to make deliveries and you have to stop on that one hill where you have good coverage. And we are very fortunate here, as Libby mentioned. But if you get a mile up the road from us towards the western end of Juniata County, you're not going to have good reception. And I often tell my colleagues um, in Harrisburg and beyond that there's a lot of similarities between rural Pennsylvania and urban Philadelphia or urban Pittsburgh. Not only um, do we have problems with access to services like many people do in the cities, um, and ours is because the d- drive distance. But certainly, uh, we have one and a half grocery stores here in Juniata County, and it's difficult. And if you're at either end of the county, it's at least a 20-mile ride to get to the grocery store. So broadband is difficult to run a business. Um, it's difficult to make deliveries. And I don't know what the Briar household is like, but our household has had about uh, you know, there's been a drop off about every day here for some type of package that we have ordered to, um, to have delivered. And if, you know, sometimes a driver wants to call to find out where things should be placed, if you can't make those calls, it's difficult to get those deliveries. So broadband really affects all aspects of life here.
0: As my dad said, he goes, um, when I was a kid, we only had Christmas once a year. <laughs> now it's every day. The deliveries." <laughs> That's Breyer exactly household. right. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I think at this point, there's a really strong argument to be made that that broadband should be a basic American right. I mean, we can't ask citizens to complete their tax filings online or go to school online um, or really do anything that other students are required to do without having that that access. And so, um, I think both of you driving that point home is, is really important. Um, another insight that you shared with me, Misi, when we first met was... The, uh, the role of an immigrant workforce in agricultural labor. Um, can you expound upon that a little bit and explain how vital that community is for uh, the labor force?
1: Absolutely. One of the statistics that I heard at a conference, and I don't have you know the citation to back it up, but it seems very logical. Is that about ninety percent of all the cows milked in northeastern United States are milked by immigrant labor? So certainly we rely on immigrant labor, and they're the ones that keep our um, our food on our table day in and day out. It's very very important. Has that changed over time? Uh, absolutely, I think you know certainly even counties like Juniata maybe. 40 years ago, you wouldn't see immigrant laborers, but you do today. And especially in dairies, you don't normally think about immigrant laborers being in dairy. You think about them coming in the summer, um, especially when, you know, the fruit is ready to be picked or vegetables are ready to be picked, but um, the dairy industry also is heavily reliant on immigrant laborers.
0: With regard to the uh, to the CARES Act, and just one more for you, Misi, um, obviously the uh, Department of Ag at the federal level seems to have complete discretion over the spending that has been allocated to the uh, agricultural community. Um, when you interact with clients, what are those conversations like? I mean, is it, I would imagine the uh, the uncertainty there must be uh, pretty unsettling, is it?
1: It is unsettling and it depends which sector and segment of agriculture you're looking at. Um, And people are really just hunkered down. And I wish I could give you a more complex answer, but at this point, I really just can't. Um, They're interested in the CARES Act. They're trying to see what might be able to help them. And trying to vet all of that information has been really difficult. And also trying to figure what you're gonna do this year um, folks are buying seed like crazy right now. Um, usually, you sort of buy as you go. You know, it's time to plant corn. You know, you get into May in this area, you start thinking about buying that seed. Well, with shortages in supply in other products, people are... I want all my seed and I want it now. I want it here so I can use it when I need it. I want all my spray and I want it now. So people are trying to make those buying decisions. I will say that um, some of the farm lending organizations like Farm Credit have really gone out of their way to be accommodating to farmers. A lot of times folks will borrow in the spring to buy seed. And then, you know, those are short term loans paid off in the fall. So we are seeing... Um, agriculture lenders be incredibly generous. And I would say like the rest of the people in this country, really um, agriculture has risen um, to be good neighbors. And just to give you an example, there's a Pennsylvania pork council that met last night. Um, They're sending $50,000 worth of products to food banks. I talked to my former student who happened to be libby's former teacher this morning and she's been very engaged in um, fighting hunger and she's been working with local food banks and one of the things that she told me and i've heard her say this many times is that when you call your local food bank more often than not um, a financial contribution might be what you can do best because what might make us feel good to go to the store and buy $100 worth of groceries to donate. What that $100 can do if the food bank can make the purchase, they may be able to buy three times that amount with the deals that they have.
0: Mm. And I mean, that's a game changer, right, is uh, is having those financial resources. And so, that's a great piece of information. Um, Libby, one of the angles that you bring to this conversation, which I find uh, really fascinating is um, you're preparing to enter the uh, seminary um, and I'd imagine at a time like this there isn't uh, really any one you can go to with you know insights as to how you know churches are to operate at a time like this and, and I would think that's especially true um, in in rural areas uh, I know one of the guests we had on the podcast a couple weeks ago is in the city of York and he talked a little bit about Getting um, or have people having access to these visual uh, worship um, services that they're having on Sundays. But what's that been like for you? Is is it been, I'd imagine it's very uh, new territory.
2: Uh, yeah, so it's really weird um, to be able to log on to Facebook and see church services happening every Sunday morning. Um, and I think the weirdest thing for us, um, for mom and I and my stepdad here is. You know, not being able to go to church on Easter um, is something that I think we all kind of took for granted. Um, But not having the opportunity to really celebrate new beginnings um, in one of the places that we love most in town um, was definitely a little bit hard this year. But um, we know it's just something we have to get through. Um, As you said, yes, I'm going to seminary in the fall. I will be attending United Lutheran Seminary um, for their Masters of Divinity co-op program um, so that means that I will be working in a church for about 25 to 30 hours a week and then taking mm-hmm. classes on the side online so I won't have to worry about um, I won't have to worry about taking in-person classes and those being transitions online because all my classes will be um, based on um, online courses um, but I am a little concerned about whether or not I'm going to be placed in a church, um, because a lot of people aren't necessarily in churches now, um, churches have been shut down. Um, but I am really excited about what that means for, you know, for faith development and for inclusion and bringing people back into the church. Um, Mm. I know that in our very small rural Lutheran church, we have, um, this kind of gap around age, I'd say 25 to 50. Um, We're kind of missing a generation, and I think they're the, they're the people who have you know young kids who maybe not be able to go to church every Sunday, but I think having the opportunity for them to you know log on to the computer and go onto Facebook and pull up a church service and have that little moment of church, even though if they're not necessarily in the pew, I think it's definitely something that is helpful. I know. Over the past few weeks, there's been so much uncertainty, but I know that at six o'clock every night, I can log on to Facebook and one church is having a Bible study. I can log on to my Zoom um, at eight o'clock on Sundays and meet with the Lutheran student community at Penn State. Um, There's just a lot of things that have allowed us to have more options as far as church goes. It's not so cut and dry. And I'm really excited to see what that means for the church as a whole going forward.
0: That's great to hear. And I think that's kind of one of the silver linings of this whole pandemic. I was talking to um, a physician a couple of weeks ago who said that, you know, telemedicine now has been launched to a degree that they would never would have imagined even a month ago. And so that's become really a primary means of, of care. Um, we see the same with uh, companies in the area. I saw there are... Um, you know, breweries making hand sanitizer. Uh, You know, you look at all these kind of innovative ways people are responding, and it goes back to your point, Macy, originally, about how the ag community, regardless of what uh, traumatic event has happened in American history, always gets through it and and manages to come out the other side. And I'm sure you would say that this situation would be no different.
1: That's right, And, and we're very proud to have two clients in my business that have been making hand sanitizer, and that is um, the Pennsylvania wineries, Pennsylvania cideries, and I know the breweries and distilleries are doing likewise. And many times they're donating that product to EMTs or local nursing homes. So that's just one example of what folks are doing across the state. And I'd like to mention just my parents and probably your grandparents, Tom, lived through World War II. And I'm sure um, when my dad left at the age of 17 and he was in five continents within a year, um, ended up in the South Pacific, my mom was a welder. I always wondered why it took her six years to get through college. And that's because she left for two years and as a farm girl could weld tried out at the Pennsylvania Farm Show building, um, got to be a welder and ended up at Letterkenny welding airplanes. And she always mentioned how it became real to her when these planes would come in with blood on them. But, you know, that was the days of the Victory Garden. And I've thought about how many of my neighbors have gardens here, but it's... Also, a time if you have a patio and a pot, you can have your own little victory garden. And I am not an employee of Penn State at this point, but I do want to put a plug in for the Penn State Extension Service. And as many of your listeners will know, Penn State is the land grant institution for Pennsylvania. And that means that it was formed back in 1862 as an institution that would not only teach, but also would conduct research primarily in agriculture at that time, and then pass that along to folks out in the community and every county in the commonwealth and every county in this country has an extension office and you think of that as just an extension cord coming from penn state out into the counties dauphin county also having one where you live that's close to peters mountain and one of the things that the extension service does is a program called master gardeners and if your listeners would want to go to extension.psu.edu there is a lot of free online courses and webinars that you can take to learn how to prepare some of your own food. So garden, preserve, um, some of those things might be fun and it'll give us all an appreciation of what our farmers go through day in and day out to put food on our table.
0: That's a great resource, Macy. And I'm glad you mentioned it because, um, right now is a perfect time to gain perspective. I know, you know, my family is watching Band of Brothers. Uh, you know, Dick Winters actually grew up you ever seen the show Band of Brothers.
2: I have not. I have, so, but it's amazing.
0: Isn't it, Olivia? It is just, I watched it in college and now I've gone back to it. And it is, uh, you were talking about World War II. It's about, you know, the story of Dick Winters, who actually is, is, uh, ended up living out his life in Hershey. And um, the uh, Easy Company, which, uh, you know, you see them land on the beaches of Normandy. And you're reminded, like you said, of uh, what life was like and how they were able to get through it. And I think that perspective right now is more more important than ever. So, Nisi um, and Libby, it's it's always great to speak with you. Uh, I enjoy the our conversations every time we have them. And I know that we'll be able to chat again soon. But thanks for, for joining me on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Tom. And I'm going to put Libby on the spot. And when she was talking about her organization, the FFA, that is the Future Farmers of America. And I think there's no way... Better to end our conversation today than for her to uh, give the first paragraph of the FFA Creed, because I think it just going back to uh, World War II and beyond really states what um, rural and agricultural America has to offer. So, Libby, putting you on a spot, would you mind doing that? I
2: guess not. I'd love to hear it. Uh, this is the FFA Creed written by E.M. Tiffany. I believe in the future of agriculture with a faith born not of words but of deeds, achievements won by the present and past generations of agriculturalists, and the promise of better days through better ways, even as the better things we now enjoy have come to us from the struggles of former years.
0: Thanks, Libby. That's a perfect, perfect way to end this. What a beautiful sentiment. Libby, Nisi, thank you.
1: Tom, thank you.